Welcome back, everybody. After a, a little bit of a hiatus, we're here again to discussions around our table. This is be episode number 012. Bringing back for a third time now, Eugene. Um, he seems to be my consistent person who wants to come in. I've had a couple people that have uh, promised to show up and then didn't. So we've been giving him a good razzing at work and whatnot. But uh, I appreciate you coming in again. I think today we're going to talk something that's a little more near and dear to our hearts. And, you know, all the people that are out there should uh, take up an appreciation of it. But we're going to really dive in to guns and self-protection today. So specifically, we were wanting to talk about some of the new kind of trends, we'll call them, that are coming out right now that are, uh, I guess, a little bit silly or, yeah. in so, our perspective, not useful. You know, we're making this big change at work, uh, switching uh, to 9mm, and the whole... I mean, I can get into the whole nine millimeter. Personally, I'm not a fan of nine millimeter. I realize that's it's been a argument that's raged on for ages. That you know, I'm personally a 45 guy. Um, but when you uh, when it really comes down to it, what wins gunfights isn't nine millimeter. It isn't 45. It's rounds on target. And the reason law enforcement went away was back in. I think it was 86, the FBI was in a big shootout, and they, re- they during their testing, they figured out that 9mm, in their opinion, was not an effective round for law enforcement. So they that initially they went to 10mm, and they found out that they were having too many problems with overpenetration and... With recoil control. Yeah. I mean, to, to give perspective, I mean, essentially you're going from like driving a Honda Civic to driving a full-size Dewey truck. I mean, yeah. the amount, I mean, it's a drastic change. You can't be like, oh, I'm going to drive this truck like I used to be able to drive this 9mm. I mean, 10mm is a big round. I mean, only, and, they're, and it's a lot hotter than, you know, running like 45. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because, I mean, a lot of people's issues, I guess we'll say, with shooting is... They're afraid of the gun. They think yeah. the gun's going to hurt them. And so that's when you see people who flinch. Well, and that's something that is built into our psyche. And, uh, you know, loud bangs, whether it's coming from a gun or not, we have an instinctual response to flinch. And I know that there's, I mean, I could go on for a while, but there's a bunch of studies that were done uh, by Anoka and Heim that dealt with, you know, officers' responses to, uh, you know, flinch responses and things, startle responses, things like that. And some of it is, you know, stuff that we have absolutely no control over. Now, you can stress inoculate yourself yeah. by shooting a lot to reduce that reaction, but... You're standing around in a seemingly, you know, peaceful setting, and all of a sudden you hear a loud bang. You are going to have that startle response. Yep. And even sometimes when you anticipate it coming, like, oh, okay, I know it's going to come soon, you still have that flinch. I mean, I had one, too, like, was it not this last year, but the year before, I was in a Veterans Day flag ceremony or whatever, and I knew they were going to ring a loud, I mean, like, a Liberty, like we have a fake Liberty Bell in town. They were going to ring that behind us. And I knew it was coming. And then when it did, it, I, you know, I flinched, yeah. even though knowing it was coming. And so that's yeah. not, 
And, and you see that <clears throat> shooting all the time where people who have shot before, mm-hmm. they know what the gun's going to do, yet they if you put some dummy rounds in their magazine, they will be shooting live rounds, live rounds, and as soon as they hit their dummy, you can see the muzzle drop as in response to yeah. you know them trying to brace for that. Yeah, they're trying to fight it cuz I mean, you try to Again, we've talked about this before. Your body is inherently lazy. And so yeah. it knows that when I pull the trigger, the gun's going to do what it's going to do. And it really does it all in a very stable platform. The gun itself doesn't yeah. really move until after the explosion is done. So it's not the firing of the bolt that really does it. It's kind of all that after that really causes that mechanics of the gun flipping up and all that kind of stuff. But it's people anticipating, well, the gun's going to go up. That means I have to be inaccurate. So if I plan to push the gun down first yeah. i'll compensate for that recoil well you're never gonna out speed a bullet i mean right. it's the you can't curve a bullet sorry people who think that what happened to wanted you're never gonna beat the would that be the physics behind although that. i still think and then nowhere in near in the actual context of the movie wanted mm-hmm. but i think that and i know uh Mythbusters did a thing on it where they were trying to do it using circumstances of the movie wanted. But I'm thinking if you fire around out of like an M134 where those barrels are rotating at such a high speed that over a great distance that that bullet is going to have a curve. Yeah. It's not going to be, yeah. you're not going to be like shooting around a person and hitting the target behind them. Yeah. You never get that but, extreme, but you can have a little bit of, effect on the trajectory i mean i was you know me and you were talking about building ar pistols so i've been essentially spending a bunch of time on youtube doing all this kind of stuff doing all that's my research platform of like what's the best part from every part what's you know the best thing to make the barrel out of the best length for the barrel that kind of stuff and they're saying that you know there's a bunch of people out there who try to say that this is the best combination of barrel length versus barrel material versus all these different things but a, a thing i never really thought or was told but then it does make sense is that um, the longer the barrel you can get what they call barrel whip that by time it if you're shooting rapidly that essentially the barrel is moving but and you are shooting fast enough the next round is affected by that barrel yeah that has essentially moved a little bit because yes as solid as a gun looks there is still some nano movements or micro movements that are well, in there. Well, and if you imagine it on a bigger scale, when I was a kid, I went on a tour of the SSBN Georgia, uh, and this was back when it was still had ballistic missiles on it, and now it shoots uh, guided missile Tomahawk missiles. But anyways, the I went on a tour back then, and one of the things I remember, and we're talking, I think this was like 20, 30 years ago, something like that. Actually, I guess it would be more like 30 years ago. Uh, but one of the things I remember is they were talking about that if you're standing on one end of the sub and in the like missile compartment area and you have somebody standing on the other side that when they fire a missile, that submarine flexes so much that you cannot see the person on the other end of the compartment. Now you're thinking, I mean, you're looking at a huge submarine now, granted, that huge submarine is launching a very large projectile, yeah. but 
I mean, that's a lot of movement coming out of a whole bunch of steel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about... It's a surrounded by water that's putting pressure on it. So yeah. it's even increased factors. You know, if you were gripping that, you know, or applying pressure like water to the side of a, you know, rifle, then you probably wouldn't have as much of that whip. But I think that you're always going to have something. But it's not something that you need to, I think, focus on to the point of like, oh, I have to, you know... I'm gonna, that's the reason I'm not accurate. Oh, it's got to be the barrel whip or it's got to be whatever. It's 99.9% mechanics. It's right. the shooter that's doing it. I mean. Well, and you see that a lot in precision shooting. And I mean, we've kind of gotten way off target, but in precision shooting, you know, you can get um, sub MOA or minute of angle guns. But if you as a shooter are not capable of shooting that, mm-hmm. it's not the gun's fault. Yep. I mean, the gun may, I mean, very well mechanically be able to shoot a sub minute of angle accuracy, but if you as a shooter just don't have that ability, yep. you're never going to shoot it. And people yep. have returned guns to manufacturers because they're like, you're falsely advertised this to be, have this accuracy level and it's not. Yep. And it's, you know, we talked about it before. You can't make yourself a better shooter because you buy a better gun now yes if you put a high point in some a good shooter's hand are they not going to shoot it quite as well as a high-end gun sure there are a little bit that's there but i've talked about before the only reason to ever upgrade or to say i need a better gun you know i need a sub moa gun it's because you're shooting moa at all you're so you're accurate that you're hitting you know nickels at 50 yards okay now i want to hit dimes at 50 yards so now you might need that gun to put you over that little bit extra. But for me, I'm not a super strong shooter. I can shoot okay. I wouldn't call myself a strong shooter. But me and you, you know, I would consider you to be a you know, fairly strong shooter. We could both pick up 100 different guns and shoot them. And you're going to shoot all 100 of those guns better than me, even if one is a high-end race pistol that, you know, the top-of-the-line competitive shooter shoot or – going and find a grandpa's old revolver yeah. or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just, which is funny because conversely and this is something that where, you know, yeah, my world's kind of been about guns, but conversely, you are a much better archery shooter than I am. And I, I mean, I kind of consider myself that, you know, good enough for government work, uh, type thing uh accuracy level with a bow enough and Uh, and that and i see that bow is somewhere in photography in my experience are places that people think if i spend more money on a better bow it's going to make me better i can take my 300 dollars bow shoot it and i'm going to grab this two thousand dollar bow shoot it and i'm next shot can be that much better that is 99.9% 99.9% never the case. Yeah. Now, are there aspects of that bow that the bow might be more stable or it might be easier to draw back or it might be easier to, you know, hold, you know, because it's got a better, you know, um, letdown, you know, going from a 60% letdown to an 80% letdown when yeah. you're pulling back 70 pounds, that's a big difference. And so, yes, there are aspects of that that could make it easier. But if you took two bows that are exactly the same, which you usually get this in, you know, the off-brand ones, okay, you know, Matthews also makes another bow and Hoyt makes, you know, other bows and that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy the top of the line Hoyt, but if you can also buy this other Hoyt that probably shoots just as well yeah. and you shoot them both, it's not going to necessarily that difference. And the camera's that same way. Oh, if I, ha- if I get the, you know, we call it the Holy Trinity, it's the 7200 
the 70 there were the 24 to 70 2.8 and the 10 to 24 the 14 to 24 depending on what camera you bring you in these are all 2500 lenses i could grab that camera setup on a for me a nikon d5 we're talking eight thousand dollars and just the body and one lens i could hand it to you eugene and um you can shoot it and then i could take any other camera and we take the same picture and odds are i'm probably gonna take a little bit better picture than you are because i have a little bit more skill and a little bit more knowledge oh absolutely i can tell you right now that you know you look at all the settings for light exposure and shit like that and f-stops i have no idea i i'm very much like i turn it to the auto and you know like half click and let it kind of self do its thing and press click yep. so and but it's also again for the majority of people who are out there and probably the majority of people who are listening to this podcast for the you know hopefully the listeners i still have after taking a couple of weeks off is perfectly adequate you know and that's you know kind of bringing that all the way around to you know kind of what we started about this new trend is that we were talking about before this the um the new glock 45 which is a civilian you know quote unquote version of the glock 19x so which since we're getting back to that let's let's kind of rewind uh because i want to kind of talk about the uh, you know the transition mm-hmm. and then kind of where the with the 19x um, I guess, but actually you can keep going. I, okay. we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it <laughs> melds in here. So, but with, with what you're saying though, is that they believe that putting these guns into p- shooters hands can make them better going from a 45 to a nine. You could make that shooter right. better. And we talked about, yes, there are potential things. You know, people are scared of the gun and some people, you know, they're afraid of the recoil. I can tell you shooting my revolver is not an enjoyable gun to shoot. It sometimes physically hurts to shoot it because it has a metal Absolutely. tang in the back, and I don't enjoy shooting it. And by the time we're done running our back, of course, of fire, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm putting well, this gun away. I've got a and prime example. I have two 44 Magnum revolvers. Uh, one is a Ruger Red Hawk, and it's got this really hard Packmire rubber grip on it. And it's when, you know, it doesn't have a full-length barrel lug, uh, but when I shoot it, it punishes me and it hurts after I'm done. Now, conversely, I also have a Taurus Raging Bull in 44 Magnum that has this like dual cushion zone uh, rubber grip to it. It's ported to, for recoil control. It's got a full length barrel lug, which helps with uh, that as well. And I could sit there and shoot that thing all day long. Mm-hmm. They're firing the exact same round, yep. but one of them punishes me greatly, and the other one. Yeah. No, doesn't. I mean that's um, we both had. Um, you still have, but I sold mine. Um, our Remington Seven Hundreds. I had that for my hunting rifle. Shoots a three hundred eight, very common round, but you know, compared to the, you know the AR fifteen platform, it does have more punch. And I remember going in trying to sight in my scope for hunting season coming up, and I went through like a box of ammo, which a box of rifles generally 20 i sold my rifle after that because it was so miserable to shoot every round hurt i mean it felt like getting punched in the chest by you know someone who knows how to punch every single time but i've also shot yours which is a much friendlier quote-unquote gun to shoot but and it's just how it's set up and how all those different things but with that some of that philosophy of 
well, nine millimeter wasn't very effective. Let's go to 10 millimeter. Well, now 10 millimeter is that punch. It's getting, yeah. it's not as enjoyable to shoot. It's much harder to control as far as the felt recoil, the recoil impulse is what people kind of call it, is that what your body is feeling when the gun goes off. And so, yes, nine millimeter is a much more, quote, again, enjoyable gun to shoot. You know, I've well, that's all. Much there's over to less it that, felt recoil uh, compared to, you know, one of the, uh, you know, worse for the recoil impulse, uh, you know, the what they went to because the FBI initially went to the 10 millimeter. They found out that really it was too much, uh, and so that's where the 40 Smith and Wesson was born, and the FBI adopted that and law enforcement agencies across the country almost followed suit immediately. And that actually, from a mechanical standpoint, is, has probably one of the strongest recoils in the that semi-automatic line. I know that when you start looking at accessories on guns, like optics and uh, lights and things like that, you're, you kind of have to build it around handling the recoil of the 40 because it's so much more punishing than in you know usually when you get into 45 and 10 millimeter and things like that you increase slide mass and all kinds of stuff to accommodate it where 40 is supposed to fit into that same nine millimeter frame and yet the round is so much more yeah and it's and it's really it's i've noticed it's harder to sometimes find stuff that's 40 specific because a lot of places make yeah. everything for nine everything for glock nine you can find all day long you can go on amazon and find stuff you can go to the almost any store in town and find stuff for nine millimeter and then usually the next one after that is 45 because of how popular the 1911 is but you know 1911 also good luck trying to find a 40 caliber 1911 i know of yeah. the springfield emp is the only one that i that i personally know of i'm sure you could probably name off the top of your head but it's nine millimeter and 45 for the most of it. And for me, the reason I never liked 45 was for me, the limit of the magazine capacity. They're almost always less than 10 rounds in everything. Well, and, and some for of being them... a subpar shooter, you know, at, I'm not, I'm a average to a little bit above average shooter. I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm probably boasting myself a little bit more than I'm actually in, but I prefer having those 10 rounds to get them on target than having seven rounds that might not be able to get on target. Yeah. Well. Cause for me, my hands are not big hands. And so 45 frames generally are also a little bit bigger because yep. you're getting that. And that's the big thing. Capacity. And if you get into your staggered magazine, 45s, if you're somebody, and I'm a guy who has big old bear paws, but you know, really short fingers. And, you know, I have always had issues with staggered mag, large caliber guns. Uh, I know that it wasn't until the fourth generation Glocks came out that I was actually able to run a Glock 21, uh, which is the 45 caliber uh, full-size duty pistol. But because I had problems where I could not get a good purchase on the trigger with my index finger because I just didn't have the length, uh, you know, then they ended up, you know, making the adjustable grips and things yeah. like that. And no, so and once they, I was able to get rid of all of that, I ran for years, ran a Glock 21 as my duty gun. Yeah. 
And then I mean, only recently you just switched over to what we you know have dubbed the space gun because yeah. it's got all the the fancy bells and whistles that again people think will make them a better shooter. I'm gonna put a light on my gun because I that way I can illuminate. Well, yeah, it might be able to identify your target better, but it's not necessarily gonna make you a stronger shooter. And the same with like the red dot. Yeah, you have a clearer sight picture, and you can generally your follow up shots are better, but it's not your initial shots almost always slower unless you're training daily or yeah. even more than that. But for average law enforcement agencies that are out there, I mean, we are required to do four times a year. There's some places that do only once a year. And I've heard of agencies that once you graduate Academy, if you've qualified in your Academy that they never go back wow. to do it again. And you know, those are probably more your little rinky funny because there's or, so much liability from a firearms instructing standpoint. There's so much liability <laughs> in not doing that. Uh, but anyways, back to the, so the FBI had originally said nine millimeters horrible and, you know, they went to 40. Well, recently the FBI came out with the new evaluation and they said that 30 years of ammunition technology advancement has made that nine millimeter round, which was subpar 30 years ago. It's now made it above par. Um, I question that study and basically I think all they did is move the par line because if you're comparing apples to apples that same 30 years of ammunition technology advancement has occurred in 40 and 45 as well which have moved them further up the performance chain and so really all you're doing is moving the par line down and saying okay now this is acceptable but I mean it's your the space between a 9 and a 40 is probably still there in whatever performance right. algorithm that they're using or not. But for me, I can say that I've reluctantly for a long time, I think I've said on this podcast, I was a Glock hater. For me, I just didn't yeah. shoot the Glock well. I was a Glock hater, didn't like it. But then I heard the department's going to it, so I wanted to be proactive, so I started going out and I bought my own Glocks, and now I've bought in completely. I mean, I have a Glock 26, which is their subcompact 9mm. I have a Glock 19, which is their compact, which for me, I prefer a compact gun over a full-size gun as I'm not a very large person, so trying to conceal it on my person is easier. Well, yeah, for an everyday carry, I run, you know, right now I'm running a Glock 23 for my everyday carry, which is the same size as the 19, but in 40. And I really, for an everyday carry type gun, you... I mean, not saying that you can't carry, you know, a Glock 17 or... Uh, um, you can really carry anything you want. Right, but it's, if I mean, for comfort and concealability and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's my... And concealability for me is the most important aspect of it. And being able to shoot whatever it is, you know, accurately, reliably, and that kind of stuff. I'm not just going to buy something, you know, I'm, I had a... You're not going to first start carrying that kind of stuff. Yeah, I bought the little pocket pistols. Oh, I can conceal it super easy. Can I just throw it in my pocket? Yeah, I also can't hit anything past 10 yards. Yeah. And the triggers are junk, and they tend to only carry, you know, it's, yeah, a gun's better than no gun unless it's a high point. But it's one of those things where if you're not shooting it regularly, if you're not training tactics regularly, if you're not putting yourself in those, you know, force-on-force scenarios, which, yeah, I understand people who don't have access to the same training that we do as far as simulations and simulators and that kind of stuff, it's harder, but you can find classes out there that can test your pistol skills or going out to the range and having somebody who's competent help you with shooting and that kind of stuff. You know, it's because yeah. it's 
Well, and there's uh, things out there that if people wanted to do dry fire at home, uh, they can do it relatively cheap. I know I've got on my laptop, I have some software called uh, Laser App. Uh, and it, you just hook up a webcam and it looks in your environment. And you basically draw out on the computer where scoring zones are. And you can do it at anything from like a cabinet door to you can actually tape up targets in a room. And then I run a cert pistol for training, but I know that they also make uh, little drop-in uh, lasers that you can actually, you know, plug your uh, barrel with that uh, fires lasers. But then the webcam actually detects the laser strikes and you can run courses of fire and it'll give you a prompt uh, whether it's you know fire or threat or whatever and mm -hmm. you know you can shoot the targets and it will score your targets and uh, yep. but really i want to say that the that software was like 130 bucks or something like that and you now granted i've the cert pistol you know, I've got the metal slide dual laser cert pistol, which, you know, I spent, you know, uh, probably 400 and some odd bucks for it. But you can get, you know, a much cheaper one yeah. that if, you know, you're not looking at. I wanted something that when I'm training either DT or something like that, that it's going to stand up to yeah. a lot of punishment that you don't have to have for doing. No, you don't necessarily training. always have to have the high end stuff. But with all this, I mean. It is, you know, I've bought the the budget guns, the, you know, I'm going to buy this gun for 400 bucks. Well, there really is a better gun probably for 500 bucks that it's sometimes worth saving that a little bit extra. So the cert pistol, yeah, for just normal training, you're going to be dry firing in your living room. You don't need necessarily the top of the line, right. whatever. As long as whatever it is, is close as you can to replicating what you're going to carry and isn't going to treat, you know, train into you a, um, a, what we call a training scar or something like that right. where like it's hard to do dry fire with a single action anything because once you pull the trigger hammer goes striker goes whatever well, and now you have to manually rack right that and slide. glocks you know because they don't have a self-resetting trigger um that's one of the you know glock actually makes their own training gun uh, that has a resetting trigger that they created and i mean it's completely inert but it will you can sit there and you can pull the trigger over and over but yep. it's i mean it's just a training pistol uh, and just for safety's sake you know if you are not familiar with dry fire you know you should you know talk to somebody about rules of dry fire and making sure that you know you're doing it in an environment that's clean of ammunition you know you're doing it something that if magically there happened to be a bullet that fell into a gun somewhere that you have something that's going to stop the bullet and you make these conscious mental shifts of I'm out of the real world and I'm into practice mode and then I'm out of practice mode into the real world uh, just so people don't end up you don't accidentally shooting. Accidents, like, I mean, the, it happens. I mean, there wouldn't be the rules if it didn't happen. The right. people you know, quote unquote, forget, or the gun accidentally went off, which is unless you've modified your gun and it's not a, 
$200 gun, $300 gun, guns don't accidentally go off. Right. All of them are now have all these drop safe features and all that kind of stuff. Yes, there are times where it could get, you know, could it get caught on something on your clothing and go off, you know, could it, you know, depending on how you're carrying it, you know, if you're carrying it off body, carrying a bag, is there a chance that you, you know, unintentionally grab the trigger and that kind of stuff? Sure, but you're still manipulating the gun in the way that it was designed and it's right. going to go off. But you can, you know, minus what was it, the SIG 320 or whatever yeah. just came out that had issues, but then they fixed it. But, you know, yeah. so there are sometimes that, but firearms manufacturers don't want to have the, you know, World War II Luger that you can squeeze really hard on the side and it'll go off. They right. Because right. the liability alone would tank them. And so it's getting a gun that is affordable should be when you're first one. Go out and actually, you know, manipulate it. Go to the gun store, but don't be that person who goes in there and asks a billion silly questions, that kind of stuff. Do right. some of your research at home of, you know, different things. So you go in there and, you know, you have... But also be open to when you go in there because... And it's not at all guns. I mean, if you go to your box stores, you know, the guys working the gun counter aren't always necessarily uh, the experts in that field. I mean, they're just the guy that was assigned to that section. But if you go to an actual gun store, most of the people that work in gun stores have some sort of knowledge base in the firearms field and be willing to accept some you know, feedback and not get, I mean, if you're going in and you're like, Hey, I want this gun. And they're like, you know, really you should, you know, consider this or have you considered this? Yeah. And because, you know, they see it either from people who are having issues and coming back with their guns or they, uh, see from, well, it's like we talk about, it's that sub MOA gun. I went in there and, you know, my buddy Eugene shoots this gun. He's a great shot. I want that exact gun. Yeah. Well, that exact gun might not fit my hand. It might not, you know, I might not enjoy how it shoots, you know, because there are, you know, there's been, you know, my revolver, I shot it. It hurt the palm of my hand. I've shot ones where the trigger actually, you know, how they have their little safety um, selector in the front is actually, you know, didn't feel great on my finger. I didn't like how that was. Or just, you know, how the recoil impulse is of it, or just a lot, you know, the sight picture or whatnot. You know, when I first had Glocks, I always had a problem with the front sight was always tipped up, and so I always had to consciously tip it down. So there's all these things that I didn't know until you actually go into the store. Just because you saw John Wick shoots this certain gun, or, you know, in the Bad Boys movies they have this, or it's on TV or whatever, you know, that's all marketing. Somebody won that marketing bid to do it. Unless it's, you know, one where they actually know what they're talking about. And you know, John Wick is one where they more knew what they talked about. They went down to Terran Tactical. They had all this stuff. But, you know, Keanu Reeves, we talked about before, he walks the walk and he can talk talk. He is a gunfighter. Yeah. Maybe he's never been in a gunfight, but he'd be one that... If but he it, goes out and he puts the time in on the range yeah. and runs three gun competitions. And if you're looking to, I mean, really increase your skill from somebody who's... I mean, a novice shooter all the way up to, you know, I've been shooting forever and I've been, you know, a cop for 15 years and I've been shooting as a cop for 15 years. I'm a firearms instructor, but I still go to IDPA matches, USPSA matches, things like that, because trigger time's trigger time. And if you can uh, get some skill, I mean, get out there on a range, running under a clock and, you know, uh, putting rounds down range, you will 
increase your skill set. And also, you know, we, I know one time, I'm not sure if you were with me, but we took my stepson out and he really had virtually no experience with a handgun. And I made sure to talk with the uh, range safety officers and let them know that. And he was able to shoot the course and, you know, had fun doing it. And they were very welcoming and very supportive. And it was something that that helped him develop some skill set, which now he's, you know, and selling his services yeah, to the United and, States Navy. And you definitely have more experience in that world than I do as far as going to matches and that kind of stuff. But, you know, the archery community, the gun, you know, all these, you know, action sports will call them not the you know motocross that kind of but any sports that kind of stuff where people have these passions they generally want to bestow that knowledge you know they want to talk what they're doing and so as long if you go to those things and even oh these people are gonna make fun of me as long as you go there with an open mind to say i'm new please help they're more than accommodating yeah if you show up and you're wearing all the pose repeat stuff that should you know says that you're the top shooter we've never shot before and you want to try to tell them what's up you're not going to maybe have as enjoyable of experience. So go with an open mind. You know, with that, you know, go into a reputable gun store. Preferably maybe try to even find one that has a range that's there. You know, there's yeah. a few that are here in um, the Pacific Northwest where you can go where they have a gun store on one side and then a range on the other, and they actually have guns that you can rent. And actually going out with, you know, if they have someone that's there or bringing someone who's got more than just, you know, one class worth of training to bring you into the range – and try out guns. I mean, it's like test driving a car. You tend not to just buy the car you like online, go there and drive it. And then a lot of people are like, oh, maybe I didn't like this. Yeah. I always thought I'd want a Ferrari, but now that I'm driving one, I don't really like how it drives. Yeah. And so getting in there, I mean, there's been guns where I bought them. Like, oh, it, it checked all the boxes. It was the caliber I wanted. It felt good in my hands. It wasn't too expensive. It was from a reputable brand. And I ended up buying it, you know, from somewhere where they didn't have somewhere I could test it. First one went out and shoot it. I'm like, God, this gun sucks. And, well, and it's and not that it, it's a bad gun. It's just for me and how I shoot and how whatever, I didn't like it. And I Well, to, you know, test driving anything, whether it be guns or vehicles or whatever, it, you really need to know what is going to be fit the shooter. You know, one of the things that, you know, we've been, I've been talking about how we're making this transition. One of the things that I know my department's, uh, you know, trying to move towards and it's a long process but we're trying to get away from personally owned duty weapons and put everybody into this is what we're carrying and so everybody's carrying the exact same magazines the exact same gun and everything which works well from a you know armor it works it's a lot easier for me because everything's identical but i'm a big believer that as long as you're shooting something that, of reputable manufacturer, if you can shoot well with it, then you should probably be running something that you could. I yeah. shouldn't have to force something into your hand that you're not, uh, you don't shoot well or you're not comfortable with uh, because it's not the right gun for you. No, um, and I have actual personal experience that I don't know if I've talked about it here. And it kind of goes up against some of the stuff I talked about a little bit earlier as far as you should be able to shoot, you know, all the guns similar, but... Um, you're one of our, my reserve. So I started as a reserve police officer. You're one of our range instructors. We were going out to a nearby range where we were having, you know, we would shoot for 
six hours or whatever it was. And they were learning everything from the basics to then maybe a little moving and shooting with different things. But when it came to actual, you know, static range, which is, you know, you're not really moving, it's fixed distances or known distances, and you're shooting paper targets that aren't moving or that kind of stuff. I was originally shooting a Glock because at the time I was working for a sheriff's department and that's where they issued it. Everybody has Glocks. This is what you get. And I was shooting it. Well, my brother-in-law was also a reserve and he was actually a reserve for the department I'm currently at. And he was shooting and he was shooting the SIG, which is what we carry now. And it was one of those days where it's like, it was just kind of, you know, a stress-free kind of day. And so we shot through it. I did not shoot very well. And we said, hey, I've always, let me, let me try shooting your gun. We just kind of did a gun swap. We just, you know, did that. I immediately next round shot 40 points better. Which out of 500 points, I think it was, that's a substantial yeah. change. You know, it's almost 10% better. Nothing changed. I wasn't, ammo didn't change. Nothing changed except for the gun itself. So, yes, that kind of goes back against what I said a little bit. But the gun, for me, I just shot it better for whatever reasons. And now, if I was to take the skills I have now and go back, I'd probably do perfectly fine. You know, we're switching to Glock. I've been shooting it now for a little while and I've shoot it equally as well you know still just some little things that you know me and you've been talking about this just getting reps down with the gun it's just a little bit different i'm used to you know the sig 226 and the 229 have a single action first or double action first single action for everything after that so it's a different trigger pull tends to be a heavier trigger pull the gun itself is a little bit heavier the well and you know one of the things that you had talked about one of the issues you were having is and it came down to Glocks are notorious for having a pretty, uh, you know, large rake to their grip, uh, which is the you know angle that it's moving back from the frame. Where SIGs uh, have a shallower rake to them, and so one of the things you are finding is you are having elevation issues shooting. Well, what was would likely happening is you've built this. And yes, I'm going to use the colloquial term muscle memory uh, for shooting the SIG because you've been shooting that for years where now you're shooting a gun with a steeper rake to it and you're healing that gun, uh, which is using, I mean, the heel of your palm is pushing against that too because you've got this natural, I've been shooting a gun and this is the position my wrist is in when I shoot this gun all the time. Yep. And now you're transitioning something with a steeper rake and your body is having to retrain itself to get used yeah. to holding itself at a different angle. Yeah. I mean, essentially I've been shooting the same gun for 11 years or at least the same, you know, I switched from two to six or two to nine, which is effectively the same gun. just a different sight radius or as far as the distance between the back sight and the front sight, yeah. effectively the same gun. I switched to the 229 because at the time I believed it was a more compact gun, so it was easier for me to shoot. Which, as a duty gun, I'm, you know, a full size is better because you do get a longer sight picture, which is what we're eventually going to talk about. Which I think is the original reason for yeah. that we we're bringing up this topic. But it was, you know, doing that. So you know, people who, you know, we can relate it to if you've been driving a car forever and your shifter is down. Um, more towards your leg, you know, to either a gear shift as far as a manual or it's an automatic. So almost everything is right there. But then you go and you jump and say a truck, which most of the time is up off of the tree or, you know, up by where your speedo and gauges are at. If you were to drive one forever and you go to jump in the other, the odds of you reaching for where you think it's going to be is very high. That's your muscle memory. That is yeah. what you're kind of used to. 
and it just takes a while to kind of retrain yourself. Okay, it's always up here. You know, my patrol car, I have the ones that, you know, it's up on the tree. And when I was driving a truck, it was totally fine. But when I switched to a car, there was times where I would want to go to, you know, put it into, you know, park or whatever, and I might, you know, reach for something else. And so it wasn't necessarily always going into it. Or even the Chargers versus the Crown Vicks. The Chargers have, like, the kind of the more jagged or, you know, it's yeah. that kind of a maze going up where, and then it kind of stops at the neutral and then you got to kind of move it around to get it to park. If you're not used to that flip, to me, I wasn't always getting into park on that first shot. So going to jump out of the car out of a charger, I had to really make sure that it was in there so that I don't earn, you know, ghost rider, you know, part de for, <laughs> you know, having my car roll away from me. Well, you know, one of our sergeants just got a new truck and one of the things he was talking about was it's got a, dial similar to your radio that you turn to put it from park to reverse to neutral and drive and he is like constantly reaching up for the shifter that's not there and because that's how he's driven and you know he's constantly having to then you know look back down and try and and just adjust you know, the knob it's a, a retraining but like i said there could be a time where you just never get it down so you know i agree with you that forcing somebody into a platform especially as something as important as a firearm that you're using for your protection other people's protection that you have to be as accurate as possible because you could pretend to be shooting around obstacles that you don't want to destroy you know what what's that the third or the second firearm safety rule you know not pointing your gun anything you're not willing to destroy and so forcing somebody to that platform. Like if I would have been forced into that Glock platform earlier on, I probably would be a much worse shooter. Cause I would have, I would have figured it out. I would have made myself shoot that gun better, but not necessarily the right technique. I would have found ways to cheat the system of mm-hmm. holding it a certain way or doing something to manipulate the firearm or whatever in a way the yes, I qualified. Cause that's, I mean, that was the standard. Either you qualify or you don't, you don't have to be a hundred percent qualifier. It's, can you hit the 70%? Or whatever it is. And I likely would have cheated the system, found a way to do it within the rules of the game, and learned bad habits. I can see that being more likely the issue when you're forcing somebody into that platform as opposed to, okay, I understand you don't shoot this gun very well, but you can shoot that gun much better. Let's get you that, have you shooting that better in whatever way. So for me, going to to academy and shooting as much as we shot at academy i came out a much stronger shooter even you know with and there we had you know much different guns and i probably could have picked up a glock and qualified right then because i was just a much better shooter much better um fundamentals and all that kind of stuff but you know every time we try to swing back (laughs) around to the the original topic is so back to the original you know we're talking about how fbi now says nine millimeters viable so the uh, departments and it's not just our department. I mean, it's making the push nationwide, but departments are starting to go to nine millimeter. Now, like I said, in the beginning, I've always been a 45 guy. Uh, and you know, I joke and that, well, you know, the increased capacity of the nine millimeter is great because you have to put, you know, you more rounds in there to do the job of the one forty-five. in, you know, joking, yeah. but, uh, if as a firearms instructor, if I can get shooters who are borderline that as far as being able to pass qualifications, things like that, if I can take weaker shooters 
and I can make them, you know, increase their scores be, by putting a nine millimeter in their hand because they're, you know, experiencing less felt recoil, you know, better control. If I can make them a better shooter by switching, what wins gunfights is rounds on target. And I would much rather see somebody putting, you know, a more rounds uh, or hitting. If we each fired five rounds and, you know, you take that nine millimeter person who, you know, had been with a 45 and was shooting, you know, a 40%. And you put a nine millimeter on them, they're able to increase it to uh, sixty or eighty percent. Then I consider that a success. And yep. nope. so we're making this big transition, uh, which I'm trying to, you know, like I said, I personally have never been big. I don't generally in my everyday carry or anything like that carry a nine millimeter, but. Uh, I am getting on board the train and I would rather see people increase their skills and yeah and and I was a nine millimeter hater for a long time too because you know it, it's a all the bullets not big enough it doesn't carry enough enough momentum velocity all that kind of stuff you know the the quote unquote people think of you know the stopping power the knockdown power those yeah. different types of things well I can tell you that now in the 11 years that I've been doing this and the I've been an EMT since 2005. I've taken, you know, yes, it's, I don't have, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trauma surgeon. I'm not, you know, over in the, the sand where those guys are seeing gunshot trauma all the time. But I've taken more than the average person worth of medical training. You know, I've gone to um, TCCC classes. I've taken multiple gunshot wound management classes. I've taken pre-hospital trauma life support classes. I've, you know, re-upped my EMT every single year. I've worked on a private lance. I've seen gunshots where they've been successful. I've seen them where they have been successful. I mean, I've been to autopsies where we've dug bullets out of people. So I've seen what the damage can do. And the one that, in all of that, at all the training, the one that really stuck in was special forces paramedic who then went on to be a ER doctor in, uh, you know, major metropolitan area where they see lots of stuff is that, wounding ballistics is just like real estate it's all about location so when i finally kind of bought into that is that handgun calibers get rid of the idea that this secondary wound cavity doesn't exist there's no such thing bolts aren't going fast enough that if it hits you it causes that what's the um hypovolemic shock or whatever it is where it's you know the just the round hitting you causes your body just to shut off unless you're hitting somebody in what we call the t-box you know your eyes and your nose or right in your snot locker whatever you want to call it the odds of you incapacitating somebody with one shot anywhere in the torso is almost impossible just because they're not going fast yeah. enough with handgun calibers we're talking about. And so it, what, again, made me do that final switch. Um, anybody out there that wants to get into the nerding of wounding or not, I guess not wounding, but ballistics, um, Lucky Gunner, um, they have a website where they have, they've taken a bunch of essentially self-defense rounds and they've shot them a bunch of different ways and w when they've shot them they've then taken like a five shot average you know what's the average expansion what's the average velocity what's the average penetration all these different things and they have the fbi standard which i think is between 12 and 18 inches of what you know if it's below that it doesn't penetrate good enough if it's over 18 inches it over penetrates or it's more likely to go through 
what you're intending on shooting and going beyond that. And so I looked at it, and so 9 millimeter, the rounds I was looking at, they, you know, expanded on average to like 0.61 inches with like over 1,000 feet per second of velocity. Um, and so then you look at the 40, okay, well, now it expands to 0.75 inches at 800. Okay, so, you know, you put those numbers together. Yes, it's making a bigger hole, but it's going a little bit slower. So it's not usually penetrating quite as well. And so you could have, you know, those issues, you know, trajectory-wise and whatnot. And then, you know, 45 is that much bigger. Well, then, in my mind, I kind of realized, okay, if I take 10 rounds of 9 millimeter and say I'm a 50% shooter, well, that's five rounds on target at 0.6 inches. Well, okay, now you take the same gun, but it's in 40 caliber. Now I'm only getting eight rounds. Take half that. Now it's only four rounds. Well, you know, if you do quick math, you know, four times 0.75 is equal to or even less than five rounds of 0.61. So I'm causing potentially maybe each individual hole is smaller, but overall, if you can combine all those holes into one hole, I'm making a larger amount of holes or I'm decreasing the surface area that was there to what it was with those other ones. I'm like, so effectively, if I can get more rounds accurately on target, even though they're smaller, the odds of me eliminating the threat and you know i'm not saying we you know there's no shoot to kill shoot to wound it's shoot to eliminate the threat if yeah maybe one round the guy goes ow that really really sucked and i'm going to stop aggressing towards you or yeah potentially you did kill them or you hit them somewhere vital where it does cause them to you know expire or whatnot then that's the case but i'd rather be again accurate because the odds of you getting into a shooting in an empty parking lot where there's nobody around is very low especially at a civilian level and so being accurate getting that you know i'd rather have 10 rounds on target perfect of 22 than one round out of 10 rounds on target with any other you know 50 caliber whatever you want to shoot that where are those other nine rounds going they're going to have somebody's name on them either a lawyer or a victim is where each one of those rounds are going to go is going to have one of their names on it so Get what's comfortable, get what you can shoot well, get what is a reputable brand that you can, you know, look at the accessories you want to get. Don't just buy this gun because it's pretty and it's, you know, quote unquote badass or whatever, but then you can't find a holster for it. Or the holster you find, they only make one and it's $90 and it's not comfortable. Or magazines, you know, Smith & Wesson, for whatever reason, has like a patent on their magazines where you can't buy aftermarket magazines for for the most part unless you find you know some offshoot brand or whatever where you know a lot of people make Glock aftermarket you know you have ETS you have PMAG you have you know um, a bunch of different make companies that if you want to buy extras for the gun look into that as well because if you're just going to buy a gun it's going to sit in your nice and you're never going to use it maybe a handgun isn't your most effective home defense gun because right. just because you point a gun at somebody doesn't make them oh, no. mean they're going to stop not at all if you're not willing to pull the trigger all you're doing is introducing a gun into a bad situation that might and, not know, have already been and there and some people are don't feel that they can you know bring themselves to do that my mom was one of those people that and i so i learned at an early age where i you know i think that carrying a gun is a personal you know choice if she was somebody who was you know very religious and um, she just never felt that she could drop the hammer on somebody if she needed to. And 
really that's not somebody that should be carrying a gun. Mm -hmm. And there's other options out there for security outside of a firearm. Uh, the obviously, you know, a firearm would provides a higher level of security. I mean, it'll stop the threat a lot better than, you know, some of the other options out there. But if you don't feel that you can do that, then that's not the right answer. Yep. And, and it's also, if you're not comfortable with carrying it, you know, if you go, to, if you've never manipulated a firearm before, you shouldn't go to your box store, ask for the gun that you want, get your, you know, you come in with your CPL or even you may not even have your CPL. You go in there, you buy the gun, you either have to wait or you don't. You, they throw a box of ammo up on the table because you don't know what ammo you want even. And you immediately take it out, put it in your purse and I'm now safe. No. no, you. Yeah. If, if anything, you are now potentially in a worse spot because you go to pull it out because you think you know what you're doing and you shoot yourself. You shoot somebody you don't intend to. It, you know, it's a conscious thought every day to grab my gun, put it, you know, in my waistband, and walk out the door wherever I'm going. And can I take it wherever I plan on going? Now, granted, being in law enforcement, we have a lot more latitude and where we're allowed to take it and not take it. You know, we can go across state lines. We can go in places that, you know, the chief item for sale is liquor and that kind of stuff. We can carry in bars as long as we're not under the influence. But, you know, what does that really mean as far as the laws right. go? Is it is a sip under the influence or are you actually intoxicated? You know, there's no clear line in the sand. It just says under the influence of. But it's still, we're allowed to carry it more places. But the average person, if you're not carrying it all the time and you just leave it up in the closet and think that well when the bad guy comes in you know the dark i'm gonna accurately make a shot while i'm tired in the dark with family members or other people in the house the odds of that being successful super low yeah then the odds of that gun not being taken away from you very high and the odds of you potentially forgetting it's even there and then you go to look for it and it's gone very high. I don't know how many times you've taken these reports, but I've taken dozens and dozens of them where somebody goes to go look for their gun and it's, and it's not missing. There. Yeah. Well, where'd you last see How long ago did you last see it? Oh, it's been a couple of years. Yeah. Okay, cool. I need a list of every single person that's been in your house in the last six years because they're all suspects. Because <laughs> if you can't tell me or yeah. narrow it down, where do you want me to do with this? You can't just say, well, I had Jimmy from down the street. He was in my house for the first time ever. Okay, Maybe how you know it's not somebody else or whatever. So yeah. if you're not actively doing that, and then I also you know condone and all that, being safe about it. Don't be negligent in that as well. Don't be the tactic douche and just like wear all of your gun. You know you're wearing five eleven. Nothing against five eleven. You're wearing your five eleven BUs and the I shoot guns for a living shirt and all this other kind of which stuff. is funny because I'm such a brand whore for you know. Different brands, and yeah, I wear my 511 pants all the time, and I wear, you know, my... But you you, know. you tend to get silly like the more casual ones, though. You're not, yeah. like, you're oh, not yeah. the straight, yeah. like, you're not wearing the BDUs with... You know, we have a guy in town, which I highly doubt he's listening to this, but if he is, you really need to change your uniform or your outfit, dude. But he wears a duty belt. He's not a cop yeah. at all. You're drawing attention to yourself. Right, and you know, and that's and, the same argument of open carry versus concealed carry. You know, hey, I am a very strong Second Amendment supporter. I think that, you know, people should have guns and be able to carry guns. But just from a tactic standpoint, 
you make yourself a target if you're open carrying. And, you know, this isn't the, you know, the old West anymore where everybody's carrying a gun and you, it's a common thing. If you have a gun on you, people are now paying attention to you. Yep. And so if, uh, in fact, I remember going into, uh, our, one of our local, uh, grocery, uh, stores and a guy's walking around open carrying and he also had a pair of handcuffs on him and i know him i know he's not a cop or anything affiliated with security law enforcement anything like that um but he's walking around with those and i'm looking at him and obviously my attention is drawn to him and why because he's open carrying Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it from my standpoint of, you know, is this guy a threat? Hmm. Now, granted, if you were standing right next to him and I didn't know you and you're concealed carrying, my attention's not on you yep. because I don't look at, I don't have that obvious flag that you're a threat or could be a threat. Yeah. Where well, I think that. it's uncommon. I mean, it's yeah. the. Yes, I get that there's people who want to test the boundaries, and I'm going to carry my gun, open carry, and I'm going to go to places to intentionally try to incite people to question me about it or try to detain me and blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know what, dude? You're an idiot. Yeah. No one cares. You're just trying to get hits on YouTube or on social media or whatever. You're not helping the situation. You're making the Absolutely. situation. You're making gun owners look like fools when you do that kind yeah. of stuff. When you're walking down the road with your AR strapped across your chest, are you legally allowed to do that? Yes. Are we going to get 100 calls about it? Yeah, because it's unusual. And it's not normal for people to walk down yeah. the road with an AR-15 and for us not to think, what are they up to that could be suspicious? So, yeah, you're going to get stopped. I understand that's your intent because you want to try to trip us up and show that you might be smarter than we are in these certain situations. And I can tell you, I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk to you. Am I going to take your gun from you? Probably not. But if you do something to make me uncomfortable, I might because you've – you're the one that's trying to push this situation yeah. where it's not safe. And by open carrying, I understand it's within your Second Amendment rights to do that. But you know that people are looking at it because it isn't as common. People don't well, expect and there's everybody different, to. And there's obviously different places. You know, if I'm out hunting in the woods or I'm out, you know, camping or something like that, open carrying is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're walking around in the city, like I said, I'm... I mean, I carry religiously. I am, you know, and it is very rare that I don't have a gun on me. And the, you know, I can really, the only times that I open carry that I can think of has either been out hunting or when I'm at, you know, work and I'm doing it, you know, at a training or something like that. But generally it's like, I don't want people to be seeing the gun Mm -hmm. and, looking at me as a threat when of course I also look at it tactically where I want to try and be a little bit more of the, you don't pay attention to me because that gives me the opportunity to pay attention to you. You want to be the the gray man or the shadow warrior or whatever, but you know, I've worked in the detective division, not for a long time, but I did for a little bit and I've done plain clothes details and you'll see generally detectives will still throw a overcoat on or something, even if they're carrying on their hip outside the waistband, which is, you know, more what people, you know, for, you know, they're not when they're open carrying. It's usually outside the waistband. You know, and what effect looks like a police holster or a duty holster, whatever you want to call it. 
we still cover because we don't want, even as police officers, don't want to draw our attention to ourselves if we're not in full uniform. Right. Because, again, you make yourself a target and you make people uncomfortable. I understand that we have the right under the Second Amendment to carry, but people also have a right to feel uncomfortable around guns. I can't force somebody to, right. you know, I can put a gun down on a table right now. And me and you wouldn't even bat an eye. Heck, we'd probably unload it and start playing. You know, yeah. we're not playing with it, but we're manipulating, see how it works, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But if I was to take that same situation and go to a bunch of other places, if I went to a, you know, classroom full of teachers and did the exact same thing, they would be hyper focused on that firearm because they're just not used to being around it. It's scary. They were told whatever truths or lies about what guns do and what gun owners are and that kind of stuff. So you're not doing the gun owner population any favors by drawing attention to yourself making yourself think that you're cool because you have all these things and oh i can do this you know two second draw and blah 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 blah. it no one cares i can promise yeah. you that no one cares they might look at your videos and i guarantee half of them are probably making fun of you and the other half might think oh that's a cool idea but then they're going to go on to the next one and whatever so it's not the right thing to do. I mean, and again, you're making yourself a target. There's, I've even heard there's people out there that are doing this like social experiment movement thing of trying to disarm people. Yeah. If they see people with a gun. Oh, I'm going to go take their gun from them and show them how they're really not that safe. You had better hope that you get my gun off me and you take off running like you're Usain Bolt because – if you touch my gun and I'm out in public, the odds of me pulling it and using it on you is almost 100%. Yeah. Because all I know is that you're trying to take a we- you know, a weapon from me for what intention. I have no idea. Well, and the, and, and the reason of taking it is, imp- I mean, from at least my perspective, is implied that you're going to be using it against me. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, when you carry religiously – Am I walking around paranoid that people are going to do that? No. And again, that's going to draw more attention to you. If you're carrying concealed, leave your gun alone. Stop playing with it in your pants. Yeah. Leave it where it is. Yeah, sometimes my shirt rides up and I'll, you know, move it. But I don't check my shirt every 10 seconds. I don't grab it to make sure it's still there. Your gun's not going to disappear. It's not suddenly going to, you know, sprout legs and go. Yeah, if you're wearing the wrong clothes and it's sagging your pants down or whatever, owning a gun's a choice carrying a gun is a choice so you have to then sometimes make some concessions to doing those types of things i tend to wear more sweatshirts because i like to have my gun concealed or i tend to wear you know a little bit looser fitting jeans i always wear a belt all these different things that you know if i'm going to the beach in shorts you know what just like some people accessorize i sometimes accessorize my gun what's going to fit my outfit that i'm wearing (laughs) which one of these firearms is going to work best for what i am doing because that and then you know, I keep getting off on tangents, so it's hard to keep track of where I'm going with all these things, but it's, I carry a gun, not because I'm paranoid, not because I want to use it on anybody. I hope I go my entire career. I hope you go your entire career of never having to drop the hammer on anybody. And I know me and you both have come to the point where the only thing between life and death for usually the other person is a millimeter of trigger slack. Probably less than that. Because it yeah. is, you know, I've been at the point of trigger, you know, the trigger breaking and the round going off. And luckily the, you know, the actions of the um, aggressor changed that I was able to not have to shoot them. Yep. But, I, and I don't, you know, I'm not looking forward to getting into those. Am I prepared to get into a gunfight? 
I think so. I hope so. You don't ever know till you're truly in that situation. But with well, and I think that's one of the reasons that people feel some, you know, that either people in law enforcement or the military or whatever, that they're always wanting to do that. It's not. It's that you have to prepare yourself mm-hmm. for that being a possibility. And, you know, do you want to get in that situation? No. And, but you have to be prepared, yeah. which brings us kind of to one of the other things you had brought up in the beginning is people in general being more aware of their personal mm-hmm. security. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that, uh, people, I think nowadays, I mean, whether you're carrying a gun or not, people tend to live in this where they're oblivious to the world around them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I cell phones and I get sucked into mine at times, but cell phones are part of that evil where mm-hmm. people just, I mean, are so sucked into, they don't know what they're going to do. They need to kill time. They get in and they start scrolling their, you know, Facebook or, you know, Instagram or whatever. And they're not paying attention to the world around them. And I can remember now, granted, he was still uh, a kid, but I was with my stepson. We were going over to uh, a big event over uh, in the Seattle area and we get on their light rail system and he is just sits down on the train and starts reading a book. He didn't even know where the stop was that to get off because he's just so sucked in. He's not paying attention to everything and being cognizant. And, you know, one of my uh, favorite quotes is actually from secretary of defense. uh, uh, Mattis is be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill every person you meet. And, the point of that is you don't know who out there is the threat that wants to harm you. And so when you're walking around in an environment, you know, my wife kind of laughs at me, but I call it threat assessment. I'm constantly looking at people assessing, you know, is, I mean, what's the threat probability yep. of these people? Yep. What, what DEFCON level are we in in this room right now? Right. Absolutely. And people generally in society today live in this, you know, land of fairy tales and unicorns and fluffy clouds where they just think that nothing's going to happen to them and they can stay sucked into their phone. They can, you know, when I walk around, if I'm going to be listening to music while I'm out on a walk or something like that, I only put one earbud in. Why? So I can hear the environment around me. Mm -hmm. I'm not completely closed off i mean are there times that i have you know where i'm at the gym or something like that where i have both earbuds in yeah there are times where uh i am in what i kind of consider a you know a safer level environment where i can you know balance those risks yeah but if you're walking around a downtown in a big metropolitan city you need to be far more cognizant of people around you Mm -hmm. than you know, sitting at home with your family. Yeah. Well, cause you gotta understand, I mean, I have 11 years with my reserve time and you have over 15 years with your reserve time. Stranger crime isn't as common as known right. violence. You know, you're more likely to be hurt, assaulted, stolen from whatever by somebody that you know, but there are people out there who either do crimes of opportunity. So they're seeing that person who's on their phone, not paying attention, 
who's wandered into the wrong spot, who's, you know, in, you know, somewhere where they maybe not should be or not well, paying think, attention. I think part of that should be qualified in our area because there's, I mean, generally speaking, that's always, I mean, your, you know, known violence is much higher. However, you know, you have to look at it, you know, we live in a smaller community and stranger crime does not happen as much here in this small community. Um, however, if you go into, you know, things like a big metropolitan city, then yes, you're going to have a much higher stranger crimes yeah. because, you know, people are less aware. and Yeah, but, but with that, like I said, the... You have the, the two. I think you have two real paths that the criminal mind goes down. Like, the, you have the crimes of opportunity. That's the person who's they're not necessarily there to quote unquote hurt you. The odds of them wanting to kill you and drag you off into the woods on a crime of opportunity isn't usually as high. They want to take your stuff, right. or you know, yeah, they might be trying to, you know, they might assault you that kind of stuff. But those are the crimes of opportunity. That's the person who grabs your purse out of your unlocked car. They might have walked past 20 other cars that were unlocked, but yours was the only one that had the purse sitting out, so they took it. That's a crime of opportunity. Yeah. Or you have the predators. You have the people who are going out with the sole purpose and sole intent of wanting to hurt somebody, either drag them off in the woods, kill them, rape them, whatever. Those are your predators. And it can be you know, thievery, people who... But they... Or like a bank robbery. You know, you have people planning mm-hmm. to commit this crime where you have like you said the you know if the person's sitting on the park bench with their purse next to them not paying attention reading a book and you know your person just walks by grabs it and runs it's the crime of opportunity yeah but both of those i think can be your odds of being a victim of either of those drastically decreases with situational awareness and just yeah. being aware of your surrounding. And again, it's not being paranoid. I'm not sitting there looking at everybody to scan, 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 scan. I'm not doing that. But am I aware of where people are at? Am I not putting myself into a situation that's more likely to put me in a threat area? You know, yes, I get that it's unfair that everybody should be treated the same, that, you know, you should be able to go anywhere in the, in, you know, the United States and not be treated differently or whatever. But I guarantee you, just as, you know, paranoid as you know, a minority could be going into, you know, white suburbia and getting pointed out. Me being a marshmallow, if I end up in somewhere where I'm now the minority, the odds of me being singled out are potentially a lot higher. And if you go into a known crime area, not prepared, not cognizant, the odds of you becoming a victim are much higher. We'll take Seattle. If you're wandering around Pioneer Square in the middle of the night by yourself and you're a male, Odds of you getting something happen to you are high. If you're a female, way higher. I get that it's unfair. Sorry, that's yeah. the world we live in. You need to be prepared. And, you know, we talk with people. We're not saying we're victim blaming. It's not always the victim's fault. But the victims do need to take some responsibility in not getting themselves into a situation. Yes, you should be able to walk around Pioneer Square doing whatever you want, wearing whatever you want, under the influence of whatever you want, you know, legally. And not be victimized. But if you are wandering around by yourself, you've been intoxicated, you're happy-go-lucky, you know, spinning around and, you know, twirling your dress, all that kind of stuff, and you wander down the wrong alley, the odds of something happening to you are very high. 
bring a buddy with you. The odds of two people being attacked, I don't know what the statistics are, but I guarantee you it goes way down yeah. because people are looking for the easy opportunity crimes. They want to find the person who is sucked into their phone, who they can get really close to. I mean, they, you see people run into poles talking yeah. on the phone. So you don't think somebody can't walk up right behind you and, you know, now they stick a gun in your back. Now they stick a knife in your back. Now they grab their, you know, your wallet out of your pocket. Now they grab whatever. And now you have to orient yourself to what's going on. Well, now you, you know, your phone, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're looking for that. So if you're just aware, you're looking around, they're going to go, oh, that person is, they're aware of what's going on. I'm probably going to leave that person alone. Well, and in addition to awareness, which I think is, you know, probably one of the biggest things and also planning and kind of doing some assessment of, okay, if I want to go into Pioneer Square to, you know, do the touristy thing, then maybe I, you know, planning out, okay, when's the best time to do it is doing it at night or doing it during the day, but also have some sort of plan. And again, this is people in general are, I mean, they don't even think about it, but have some sort of plan on a way to protect yourself. You know, my daughter, she carries, you know, this little thing on her keychain that, you know, has, um, I mean, it's a little self-defense thing on her keychain and which, you know, yeah, it's not a, you know, gun we've, I mean, she does have some pepper spray that she carries sometimes just have a plan. Yeah. And because you can't, go through life living in a fairy tale land. It just, it doesn't exist. And if you are going, have that mindset, you are at a much higher risk of having something happen to you. Yep. And you know, I agree. It's not fair. I wish we all could, you know, go throughout life without necessarily being in danger or at risk. But me and you both have a job because there's people out there who want to do harm to others, who want to take advantage of others, who want to do those things. And trust me, as much as you might, you know, think that, oh, the cops never do nothing, blah, blah. I would love to not do anything. I would love to go to work and not get a single call the entire night. Because you know what that means? Nobody was victimized that night. I would love that. It's never happened. (laughs) In (laughs) 11 years that I've been doing this, I mean, we were just talking earlier. I mean, everyone has different perspectives on stuff and, you know, different whatnot. I'm not saying I'm the most proactive cop, I'm not saying I'm the most lazy cop, but in the current position that I'm in being a acting supervisor, I don't take as many report calls, but I still go to a fair share of calls, but I don't, I'm not necessarily the primary. I'm not the main investigator on most of those calls. That's not what my assigned role is. But just this week, I only worked four days and I took 18 reports. And of those 18 reports resulted in probably nine arrests. I arrested nine people in four days, only working 11 hours each day. That's for our community, a high yeah. amount of calls. And, and that, and that's just you. That's just now, me. That's not your, you, know. you work. I mean, our minimum staffing level, uh, is generally three except for, you know, Friday, Saturday nights. And so you've got at least a minimum of two other people working the exact same time mm-hmm. that are going to have stats that are roughly similar. Yep. They're usually within a little bit below or a little bit above, unless you have someone that's complete dead weight, which right now in our department, I don't think we have anybody that's complete dead weight. And we don't have someone who's also like lighting the world on fire and going out and finding 
any little possible thing. And they're not pulling people over for the one over speed limits and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. you know, there's, you know, we've talked before the arts, this job's a marathon, not a sprint. And so, but all that's happening to we on average between the time I go on my weekend and then I have my four days off and come back. I would say on average, there's between three and 400 more calls than when I left as far as we, we keep track of it. So January one, at midnight, when the ball drops and everybody cheers, our counter restarts. And the very first one is, so next year will be 2019 dash, whatever one you use, zero 01 or I use four, so zero 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 one. That's the first call. By the time we get through the end of the year, last year we had 27,000 calls. That means that 27,000. Well, in a community of 20,000 people yeah. with a uh, patrol division that's running about, 22 people in patrol uh, that covers, you know, 24 hour, 365. Yeah. And so, you know, so that's not 27,000 cases where somebody had something happen to them, but it's still of that. I would say at least 20,000 ish are instances of where somebody was victimized. And that could be anything from, Hey, I lost my wallet to, you know, something way more trash. And I'm not even saying that we have, you know, we're, yeah, we don't live in Mayberry, but we don't live in Seattle. I'm not, right. I'm not trying to say that we're good and or bad. You know, that's a whole different podcast, but it's it's happening. It's being aware. It's you lock your doors for a reason because it's not because you're paranoid. It's because you want to keep the bad out. And well, we still run into people who don't lock their doors. Mm-hmm. Or I went to a – I remember a call from uh, – it was – granted, it was kind of early summertime but middle of the night and you know, one of the neighbors happens to come home late and she looks and she sees that her neighbor's door is standing wide open middle of the night. And, and she's concerned because she's thinking, wow, is something the place get broken into? And I go, she calls and I go up there and turns out the homeowner is just sleeping on the couch with the door standing open. Now, if I was, and I, it took me a little bit of knocking to get the her to wake up and she's right next to the door. Now, if I was somebody who was up to no good, mm-hmm. I could have walked into that house, walked around taking stuff without her even waking up. Yeah. And I so mean, there and are people it, still know, today. You hope that that's the most that they would do. Right. Is just take stuff. Who's to say that they're not, you're not the next victim on their list of. Yeah. You know, we're a small town, but we've had serial killers in this town. There's someone yeah. currently in our jail who's a known serial killer. And we had one who ended up going up to Alaska and offing himself in jail or prison up there. Where, you know, there are, I, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact statistics, but it's, or the number that's kind of thrown out there. But, like, they say in your lifetime, you walk past, like, eight to ten murderers yeah. all the time with, and not knowing. You don't know what those people's intent are. And if they're coming inside your house, it's they've now crossed a different threshold. Everybody puts an emphasis on the house. Even the bad guys know there's a difference between breaking into a car and breaking into a house. Yeah, They've crossed that threshold into your house. And it's really, you have zero idea what that person is there for. And they might have walked in for one reason and then changed their mind and then now they're for a different reason. And I'm not going to say what changes their mind but they might have came in to steal something and now they kidnap your kid 
Yeah. Now they sexually assault you. Now they rob you at knife gun or whatever. They tie you up. You know, we've had those calls. And again, we're not Mayberry, but we're not Seattle. Yeah. We're a pretty average sized small town of 20,000 people. Our crime rate is a little bit higher than other places in the state and even, you know, other. So there are those factors that go into that. But again, being aware of that, you, the same reason you lock your doors, the same reason to, is the same reason you should be aware of what's going on in your surroundings. And again, it's not being paranoid. It's being prepared. Yeah. It's, and it's not necessarily, you know, it's ultimate, you know, so I've made the decision that, yes, I want to carry a gun. Yes, I want to, and I'm just saying, not me specifically, in this situation. Person decided they go to the store, they buy the gun, they've got a little bit of training, they're comfortable enough that they're going to start carrying it. But then you got to also make that decision of what is that gun going to be used for in the situation that I'm going to do it? Is it to protect myself? Is it to protect myself and my family? Or is it to bring violence upon another person who is trying to, you know, hurt? So, you know, it's the, you know, everyone, well, what would you do in an active shooter situation? You know, law enforcement, law enforcement, everybody's going to have a different perspective. Some people say, I'm going to use my gun to get my family outside safe. Or I'm going to use my gun to go find the bad guy and do something about it. Those are two completely different mindsets. And both are totally fine. I'm not going to say you should do one or the other. Just decide, preferably beforehand, which one you're going to do. Because it tends to be people don't rise to the occasion. They fall back on their training. If you're not already mentally prepared to do whatever that action is, the odds of you performing that action under stress like that is much lower. So the people who want to carry a gun, this gun is only for my protection. Or you know what? The people that want to buy a gun just because I like to go out and shoot holes in paper, that's totally fine too. But just don't kid yourself that, oh, I have 20 guns and I can put, you know, I can shoot a nickel at 50 yards does not mean that if a bad guy comes in your house, you're going to be able to defend yourself. But then also don't anticipate, you know, if you're going to go out into public and, you know, do that under a dynamic where there's lots of people running. I know for me, I carry a gun to protect myself, protect my family. And if something were to happen where I'm at, where I can first get my family to be safe, I'm going hunting. I'm going to go find that threat and eliminate it because that is what stops most of the threats that are out there is engagement by somebody else. It's not very often that the cops show up, form up a team, go find the bad guy and eliminate that threat. It's almost always somebody else with a CCW or you know, concealed carry weapon or CPL, concealed pistol, whatever you want to call it. That's generally what stops those actions or single officer response. Those are what's going to do that. So being prepared to do those things and already have that decision Well, if you look made. at the statistically most of the active shooter situations, the as soon as the uh, shooter or the assailant is met by resistance whether it be, uh, you know, a school resource officer or somebody with concealed weapons permit, as soon as they're met, the, you know, the fight generally stops. Now, granted, it could stop violently uh, or, you know, they may give up quickly. We've had, you know. Or they escape. We, not in, uh, you know, uh, our city, but we as in the Brotherhood of Law Enforcement have had, you know, situations where, yeah, as soon as the, you know, the officer shows up, the shooter gives up mm-hmm. quickly or they turn and run or, you know, you know, 
some cases they're looking for the out and wanting that suicide by cop situation or something like that. But there have been a number of active shooter situations that have been stopped by civilians with firearms Mm -hmm. who address the threat and it stops and who knows how many lives were saved by that citizen stepping up. No, I mean, and you know, obviously, I hope there's no active shooters listening to this podcast. But if there are anybody who's planning to do something bad, the reason why people stop you is because you're a coward. Active shooters are cowards. They're doing what they're doing, not because they think that they're, you know, Rambo and doing this kind of stuff. They have whatever mental health thing that's gone wrong, all these different, you know, the, the debate on what creates an active shooter. But they always, or they tend to always run away or in that conversation, they suicide by cop, all those different types of things is because they're a coward. It's not, you know, if you go to, you know, active shooter scenario in a mall is not all that different than going to war as far as like you're shooting and getting shot back at. A warrior, the people over in the sand, they're getting shot at and they're not running away and they're engaging that person back in the fight. Soldiers, army people, I'm using that term to cover all the military branches, are not cowards. They're ready to get in that gunfight. Active shooters, in my opinion, and I hope that if you are listening to this, that you hear my words, that you are a coward in what you're doing. And, you know, you when you get contacted, that's when you quit and you give up. And I'm thankful that you do, but that is the mindset that is there. That They're not brave for what they're doing. They're not, you know, some hero for what they're doing. They are weak-minded, cowardly people who are executing these crimes of violence and Again, they run, get shot, get killed, or kill themselves. Those those are the only ways that those tend yeah. to end. It's generally not they keep shooting, you get into a gunfight with them, then they continue to go on and you know shoot more people or whatever. You know, it's not that that doesn't happen. The statistics of that happening are so low of somebody getting into multiple sustained gunfights with law enforcement or other people and then continue to you know aggress onto other people you know this is not hollywood where they're going to get into the three or four blocks of you know shootouts with a bunch of different people that's not that's not reality right but you know it's my little soapbox on again i hope that those type of people aren't listening to this podcast but please heed my words something to uh let's uh go ahead and get into the whole uh you know 19x thing and we can kind of start to start to wrap up there So the, uh, you know, Glock, for those who don't know, the Army was looking for a new pistol to replace the M9, and they, Glock had their submission, which was the 19X, uh, which, in my opinion, is dumb on many, many levels. But they made, developed the gun that the Army wanted. You know, the Army said, these are the requirements that we want, and they provided a pistol for testing that met those requirements. Now, basically, uh, to kind of dumb it down, you take a uh, a full-size frame from a Glock 17, and you put a compact slide, uh, barrel and slide from a Glock 19 onto that gun. Yeah. So, I mean, to really break it down, you're taking a grip that's longer than... So less easy to conceal yep. and then taking a slide, which is, you know, effectively what helps arguably more 
in accuracy wise, as far as your barrel length, your sight picture, and that kind of stuff, and you're taking a shorter one. So you're taking something that generally, if you're going to conceal it, and, and, and that's really what our perspective comes on. It's not well, a very that's good our perspective. I mean, the army, they weren't looking at it from a concealing standpoint. They yeah. were looking at it from a duty standpoint. Yeah. And so when I look at it, I'm like, okay, so what's the purpose of this? I mean, outside of the army, mm-hmm. meeting the army's requirements, you know, if I want a gun that is a duty gun that I'm going to carry. Now, mind you, when we're talking about the barrel length, the difference that we're talking about is half an inch. Mm-hmm. So Glock made a new gun to address a half of an inch in barrel length. And so the if I'm the officer that's wanting the gun uh, for duty use, I want a longer barrel. In fact, we are making this transition to in our department to nine millimeter. Uh, the primary gun that will be issued is going to be a Gen 5 Glock 17. Uh, however, I've gotten authorization that if an officer wants, they can carry a Glock 34, which has got an even longer slide. And personally, I like the longer slide of the 34 for various reasons, but I don't, the length of the barrel, you know, I don't have to worry about concealability. I'm not carrying this gun to conceal it. I'm carrying it for, you know, and looking at the various other attributes of the gun that uh, make it a more effective uh, duty weapon. Mm -hmm. The, if you're looking for concealability, you want something that is more compact. And so this is where I don't understand there. You take the duty gun a reason they may take this Glock 17. They cut the barrel short and create the 19 X. Why? I just don't understand. Yeah. Which the civilian version of it is the Glock 45. It just came out. Everybody's raving about They can't accept, but yeah, the majority of people, at least the ones that I know, and I'm sure the ones, you know, carry inside the waistband we talked about that their their gun is tucked into their pants so an an inch of extra barrel in your pants and i'm meaning that in the most clean way i can think of <laughs> is not a big it's not going to change your concealability. Yeah. it's not going to change how much you know it's known as um, printing so it's how much is your gun the the look at a gun on your body is it there? Can I look at them and go, oh, that guy's carrying a gun? I don't be able to tell if that gun that person's carrying has got a four inch or a five inch or whatever barrel. But I can tell you, is it a full size grip or is it a compact grip? Because the right. grip prints more than the barrel or the slide or that right. part of the gun. So you're essentially taking a compact slide, which is easy to conceal, on a full size frame, which the slide is still easy to conceal, but you're putting a full size grip on it. So right. now it's no longer. A concealable, as concealable of so, a gun. So from concealability, it doesn't make any sense at all. Now, you look at it from a duty purpose. Why? I mean, what's the point of having that shorter barrel? There's no advantage to it mm-hmm. from a duty standpoint. If I don't have to conceal it, and we're not looking at concealing, there is no advantage whatsoever to running that shorter barrel. Now, I say that with one exception. And I hadn't considered this until uh, I actually read it on some forum is somebody that if, you know, 
it's legal in your state and i think there's like 40 it's 48 or 49 states legal but if you want to turn that gun into a suppressor host to run a suppressor then you need to add a threaded barrel to it and there's your extra you know half an inch and so you can be running a basically a barrel that's the exact same length as a glock 17 yeah out of that glock 19 slide yeah. and but but that's the only yeah so you're you're in a reason. very niche market of a very niche market i mean you're in like you know right the you i mean you guys just went last weekend you and um comrade went last weekend to go look at buying suppressors you own one but it's yeah. not something that you just decide hey you know what today i'm gonna go buy a suppressor you don't just go to the store walk in pay them cash and they hand you suppressor over right. there you're paying 200 dollars to the government so that you can just for the ability to go buy one and then you got to take that tax stamp is what it's called to the store and say well actually it's, well, I know, i'm yeah, simplifying yeah. even more of that but since you're you you spend the 200 dollars just for the privilege to buy the suppressor right and then you got to buy the suppressor so now you're talking minimum 600 for a low-end suppressor well really, like, you're looking at 800 a thousand like comrade was saying that he was looking to get one for yeah a 22 rifle that he had and which suppressors on 22s are just fun i mean really fun but anyways he was looking and he had been looking through and he said oh well this one's 500 bucks so he's figuring he's going to be spending 500 bucks and then i said well and then you got your 200 hundred dollar tax stamp and then you're going to have whatever fees that the you know store is going to charge mm-hmm. to for processing Thing. so and your four to eight month waiting period right so they're i mean he was looking at spending 750 bucks to buy a 500 hundred dollar suppressor and then yeah you have to wait you know uh and it yeah. it all depends on and you know there's sites that have trackers for how long generally yeah. uh but you then have generally, to wait you're but, also then spending more money because then you got to get suppressor height sites and you got to do you, know, you right. got to modify your gun you got to get a threaded barrel there's always you know it's the odds of that, that's a very specific right. subgroup of a subgroup of that one wants Which that gun. Which is funny gun. because when Glock created the uh, Model 45, they, I would think that, you know, the way to sell that gun is with a threaded barrel. Yeah. And is, I mean, right from the get-go. Now, Glock has their, you know, they do have some factory threaded barrels. They don't sell them with the uh, uh you can't just go buy the gun with the threaded barrel you have to buy it extra and but there's tons of other companies that make high quality glock barrels that are threaded um but if i was the if i was uh glock and creating this new gun and which i'm really curious to see how it'll sell i think the so when they had the 19x the which was basically, uh, aside from a few modifications, it was basically the same as the submission to the uh, army. There were some modifications in that the army insisted on having an external uh, traditional safety. So they had created, they put one of those on there. And they wanted the the tether spot on too, didn't they? Yeah, which, well, that's still in the 19X, but the 19X doesn't have the you know, traditional external safety. And, um, but the people that I think were buying the 19 X 
are the people that are, you know, wanting to buy it because it was the army submission. Yeah. You know, they aren't buying it necessarily because they want it as a duty gun or they want it as yeah. a concealed carry gun. They're buying it because they, you know, hey, this is the gun that Glock shopped to the army. Yeah. Uh, however, the Glock Model 45, which is essentially the 19X, but, you know, it's now in black and they've gotten, they've adjusted the development a little bit more online with their other uh, fifth generation pistols. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, you know, that doesn't have the same niche market that the 19X did. So I'm really curious to see how it'll sell. You know, it comes down to, do you want a brown gun or a black gun? Because the 19X is a brown gun or was it flat dark earth, whatever they call it, or black, traditional black Glock gun. And so, you know, are you going to get people who are going to, you know, people who already bought 19Xs, are they going to go buy Glock 45s? Probably not. Yeah. Vice versa. Unless it's somebody who, they just want to own everything that Glock makes. You're going to have those people. So that's going to sell. And don't get me wrong. I I love Glock. I I mean, and I, I love lots of guns. Uh, I mean, I'm not a, you know, solely a Glock guy, uh, but I do like Glock and I own, I don't know, like 10 of them or something like that. But so I own several, uh, but, you know. But you're not I, rushing out to go buy this one. I, I just don't under, it doesn't, Personally, I don't think it makes any sense. And, you know, and there are things, I mean, some of them I have like, you know, every gun in like in the line in that, uh, like a caliber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them I don't. It kind of depends on the. Yeah. But if it's, you know, if it's somebody going out to buy their first gun or they're going out to, you know, potentially even upgrade a gun, the odds of them landing on the Glock 45 or the 19X to upgrade from what they have. There's so many better options out there. And I oh, think yeah. a much better option for Glock. And, you know, I'm not a marketing whiz. I'm on all this kind of stuff. They have a plan. They, they you know, ran the numbers and thought this was a good idea. But run a 19 long. Put a Glock 17 or full-size frame on a compact. Or other words, slide. A full-size yeah. fr- slide on a compact frame I think would sell a lot better. You would have people who then go, oh, I want to go get that. Yeah. Because it, I think it fits a broader market of people who want – Oh, you know, I don't like the 17 because it prints too much, but I don't like the 19 because the barrels or the slide is too long. That fits, I think, more of that market. I would potentially be interested in a 19 long because my hands fit a compact frame good enough that I don't have to worry about, you know, my fingers hanging off or being too small. And so, um, you know, a longer slide would be beneficial in that platform as opposed to a 17. Like, I have zero plan to ever buy a full-size gun to carry concealed for my normal well, and the use only, and that kind of stuff. The only advantage to having the larger frame is the increase uh, ammunition capacity, yeah. which, you know, Glock really isn't an issue, but, you know, standard capacity Glock 17 magazine is 17 rounds. Standard capacity uh, Glock 19 magazine is 15 rounds. So you've got, you're talking about two rounds difference. Now, granted the 19 X is sold with the plus two floor plates. And so you're actually getting 19 rounds out of that magazine. Uh, But you can put those plus two floor plates on, Mm -hmm. you know, your Glock uh, 
yeah, there's 19 the magazines and there that'll take it from 15 up to 17. Yep. But so that's really the only difference. And if you really care that much, then just, you know, because clock, you can, you know, their magazines are compatible, you know, going from larger towards smaller. You can just take that Glock 17 magazine and throw it into your Glock 19. And now you have your 19 rounds that yep. with the plus two floor plate. Yeah. I just, again, I mean, I think it's, you know, good on Glock for finding another option for people to buy. It's people are going to buy it as long as they sell more than, you know, whatever their bottom line is, then it was just in their mind a success. And, you know, a lot of it's the, you know, at the beginning of the podcast we were talking about, you know, we're talking about building um, 5.56 pistols or AR pistols, whatever you want to call them. And, yeah, you know, we me and you have talked about this. You know, they're, they're wants, not needs. It's something that to us is, you know, we enjoy going out and shooting. We enjoy different things and having different tools. You know, mechanics have different tools for different jobs. Firearms are very much the same way. They're tools. Each one generally serves a purpose. Some are collector's items. Some are not. But... You know, people go, out, oh, I want the, sh-, you know, now they're going the opposite. I want the smallest I can get. I want to go with the seven and a half inch. I want to go with the six inch. I want to go with the smallest barrel I can get because that's the new cool whatever. I saw somebody on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube that's got this little teeny tiny thing and they're planking steel at whatever. Well, and some of those things I really enjoy seeing in the gun industry. And I'm not sure if we talked about it on a previous podcast. Uh, for some reason, I'm thinking we did. But, you know. Taurus is a good example where it's just, it's innovation in the gun industry where they developed that, uh, the Taurus curve, which personally, I don't think I would ever be interested in owning one, but I like that they are thinking outside the box and trying to bring some innovation into the industry. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's still even in production anymore. Uh, but essentially, but, I mean, to, for the people who don't know, because I, mean, I don't even know, it's essentially the gun itself has a little bit of a contour to it or a curve to it to fit your body so that if it's supposed to then be more comfortable or more so conceivable, whatever they market it, it. Yeah, if you carried it in your waistband or in a pocket or something like that to where uh, your body obviously is not a flat, hard surface to hide something behind. So it what curves. Are you talking about? I've been working on this body <laughs> and, you know, it's... Well, I, I agree. I've, I guess it's not flat or hard. So. I've got the, uh, you know, that eight pack. It's just underneath a lot of protection. Yeah. I, I don't want it getting damaged. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so I mean, I agree that, you know, pushing the market, pushing the, you know, innovation and that kind of stuff, I agree with. But for the people who are looking at their first purchases or their upgrade purchases or that kind of stuff, who are wanting, you know, who believe that this is going to fit a new tool in my toolbox do a little more research. The seven and a half inch barrel isn't as good as a 10 and a half inch barrel when it comes to a five, five, six, you are actually effectively decreasing the effectiveness of that right. firearm. For just, so don't just do it because it's the cool thing to do. Right. Thinking it's going to achieve what you want, which again, goes back to the, in my mind, the Glock 19 X and the Glock 45. It's not going to achieve really anything that's out there that you can't already do with other firearms that do it better right already absolutely the 17 is going to do that job better than the 19x for the full size slide the 19 is going to do it better than the 19x or the 45 for concealability yep so you already have two guns that do these things you created a gun that 
is can be done better with things that are already out there. Aside, as we mentioned, from that niche market of yeah. the possibility of turning it into a host for a suppressor. Yeah. Nope. So. I agree. Well, I think that we uh, probably were off topic from what I originally said. Oh, but we, we went way off right. topic, but then kind of circled back around. Yeah. So, but like I said, we, I was away for a little bit. I think I'm going to change up the format a little bit. I'm going to get away from the questions. I think I'm going to keep the EDC thing. I think that's really cool. So we're going to talk about what Eugene's EDC is. Cause I don't think we've ever truly heard what that was. And I'm top of what I changed a little bit. But we're going to get away from the uh, the questions at the end a little bit. I'm still going to try to release you know, weekly. I know I've been off for the last three weeks, but I'm going to try to do weekly. I got some people lined up to hopefully get a little bit of some podcast in the can. So I apologize that you haven't seen it. I know that Eugene was getting on me for why he hasn't been here in the <laughs> podcast. So I'm working on it, but don't be surprised if you don't see, or, you know, I guess listen to Eugene and feel more because he enjoys coming here and I enjoy having him. I'm trying can... to be the Alec Baldwin of Saturday Night Live and just trying to, and like Chevy Chase, I, where they're exactly. always in the competition to see who could be on it the most. Yeah. Well, you're definitely, you and um, Jules were tied for two, and now you've got the lead for three. So All right. You already got one more. But, uh, again, you can follow us um, at all the different social media platforms, which we'll get into here. Um, so look on there for all the new episodes that come out. Again, send me topic ideas. Send me, you know, potential guest ideas. You're not, us, you know, I want this celebrity, whatever. That's, you know, unachievable right now, but, you know, maybe in the future. But, hey, talk to this profession or talk to a professional in this. You know, I, I have access to, you know, people – that can potentially talk to a lot of different things. But we'll wrap this kind of up. Eugene, walking out the door, what's in your pockets? All right. So obviously I carry a phone just because we can't get around in the world without a phone nowadays. Yeah. But you just got a brand new one. I just Yeah, I just picked up my uh, brand new Note 9. I had the, uh, the Note 7, which was the bomb phone. And uh, the uh, I ended up having to get rid of it because you know it was gonna allegedly blow up in my pocket yeah. and, uh, and that's one thing that me and you have always disagreed on for as yeah. long as we've known each other is you are a android fanboy through and through yeah and i'm an apple fanboy through and through yeah. and we always disagree with but it's a nice looking phone if i yeah. i i prefer that over the samsung galaxy whatever s8 that i have for work yeah. but it's a good looking phone the uh you know i carry i always carry a pocket knife with me uh, I've got actually a Microtech Ultratech uh, um, out the front uh, the, in, in Washington. I mean, just to clarify, in Washington State, as law enforcement, you can actually carry a, you know, what is considered a switchblade um, where civilians cannot. So yeah. that's... So it's a spring activated. He yeah. essentially flips a lever. It's in the... an out the front uh, knife. But... Obviously, not everybody has the ability uh, legally. Uh, I have kind of a small wallet, a uh, minimalist wallet. I carry, you know, one of the original Travax wallets, which I just went to, uh, which I uh, part of it was on your recommendation. And uh, I am still kind of getting used to it, but I like it. I like having. Uh, you know, something compact yeah. and yeah, I'm, I'm bought into the Trayvax thing. I, I can't exactly remember which one that I have. I think I have like the, the summit or the peak or like one of them, something that sounds like a mountain, but I love my Trayvax wallet. Definitely go out, check out Trayvax. I'm no way sponsored by anybody for any of this kind of stuff. I don't got no discount codes for you and that kind of stuff. But if you're looking for a, a good little compact wallet, go check out Trayvax for sure. Yeah. The, uh, I'll carry my truck keys. Uh, the, 
you know, and really that's the only keys I carry because, I mean, when I'm at work, I have keys for work that I carry around, but, you know, I've got electronic door locks and all kinds of yep. stuff. So if I need to get into the house, I can yeah. get into the house in ways other than. Nope. I'm the same way. I got one key and key fob. And yeah. I have a little, uh, scale, like mini scale tool, like a CS, something like that yeah. on the, but. And then I, uh, Right now, I mean, I'm one of those guys that we talked about accessorizing with carrying the gun. Lately, I've been carrying a Glock 23 uh, for my duty gun, or I'm sorry, my EDC gun. Uh, I carry a spare magazine on me. Uh, one of the things I've been uh, kind of negligent in, I've been uh, trying to be better about, is carrying a flashlight uh, on my person. Uh, I actually, even though I have a box full of flashlights. I threw another one in my shopping cart on Amazon uh, that, or my wish list that I wanted, uh, which is actually the same one you have. Uh, the Streamlight, what pro? It's like a pro TL or two L two XL or something like that. Yep. Nope. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, you know, been negligent in carrying around flashlight and you certainly need to get better about that. And, uh, but I also, like I said, I'm, Right now, I carry. I'm carrying the Glock 23. I can switch that up, to, you know, in a moment's notice and decide I want to carry something else. Um, Do you carry with weapon light or without? Uh, without, uh, I for now. Uh, anyway, yeah. I just switched to trying to carry with a weapon light, but I've never had a weapon light, and so to me, it's a whole new kind of platform to yeah. train off of whatnot. But um, so that's for me. You know, my new change is I think before when we had talked, I was carrying a Springfield XDS. That was my daily. Yeah. EDC, but now I'm either carrying the 26, which when I shot, I didn't love. I actually have a little blood blusher on my finger for when I was shooting it, just where the magazine was fitting. But I just got um, Hive Technologies. They make a really good magazine extension that also kind of covers up where I think I was at a little pinch point that I was experiencing. So I switched back to my 19 that I was carrying a little more, and I uh, just got a brand-new holster. Um, everybody go check out Northwest Retention Systems. They make quality holsters. They're um, someone that's kind of in the area, the same area that we are, that sells some good stuff, you know, a little mom-and-pop shop. So, you know, go show them some, some some support. If you're looking for Kydex, you know, inside the waistband, outside the waistband, they actually have a chest rig, kind of scout hunting rig, um, which is pretty cool. Um, go definitely check them out. The other – and the only other thing I carry is uh, – and part of it is because our, you know, I guess as a firearms instructor, I need to start – is practice what I preach, uh, but our, even though it's not generally enforced, one of the recent changes to our uh, policy manual is, requires us to, if we're carrying a gun in our jurisdiction, we're supposed to be carrying, in addition to our, uh, like, card credentials, a badge on us. And so I carry a, um, an around-the-neck uh, badge holder, uh, actually the high-vis one from, I think it's Jan Gunworks. Uh, there is... If you're a law enforcement officer and you're looking to carry a badge, uh, I recommend you go uh, read the Kansas City Police Badge Study. Uh, it was a really good study talking about law enforcement officers that are off-duty responding to shootings, whether it's an active shooter or something like that, and being able to get themselves identified to other responding officers. and one of the things that came out of that is people that have badges on their belt next to their gun and things like that. It's uh, the visibility is far less 
and then of course the officers responding if they don't know you personally they look at you they see a person with a gun and don't necessarily equate you as being a good guy with a gun yep. so it's oh, good all right and uh then uh i don't have it on but sometimes i wear a watch and sometimes i don't yeah i'm watching up got the last year's version of the iWatch. So uh, mine's a that. Gear S3. and uh, All right, good. Well, Eugene, thanks again for coming in. I'm uh, also going to change the editing up a little bit. Uh, before, I was editing out all the uhs and ands and that kind of stuff, but I'm not going to do that unless it's egregious. I don't have anybody in here who's you know, got too bad of a you know, problem with that, so I'm going to start editing those. So you, just, you might notice that that's going to be changed, but um, it'll be kind of a little fluid you know, podcast. We're still trying to get this thing figured out. But again, follow us at Discussions Around a Table on Instagram. It's the only form of social media I'll probably have for this podcast because I think it's the best social media that's out there. And then you can do contacts through there. Again, send us topics, send us ideas, and you know, enjoy the episode. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are slowly those of the individuals involved. You're not representing an organization, current, former employer, agency, community, group, government, entity, or individual presence during the recording. The host of discussions around the table and their guests are not subject matter experts in the topics that are discussed unless strictly expressed by the host or the guests. Any information given on the podcast is done so in good faith, if not malicious intent, or intentional misrepresentation. While the host and their guests have taken every precaution to ensure the content is both current and accurate, errors can occur. We make no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information on this podcast. We should not be held liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its use. It is the listener's responsibility to verify their own facts and form their own opinions. The listener should consult with a licensed professional familiar with their particular factual situation for advice before making any legal, financial, business, or personal decisions based on the information from this podcast. Any action taken based on the information of this podcast is strictly at your own risk.